Welcome to the Open Deeply podcast, where guests open up and dive deep into the vulnerable experiences that shape them. We believe life storytelling has power, the power to heal and inspire others. Your journey towards finding your sexual and personal truth starts now. Here are your hosts, Sunny Megatron and Kate Lurie. Welcome to Open Deeply. I'm Kate Lurie and my co-host is Sunny Megatron. Open Deeply is a life storytelling podcast. Each guest gets two episodes, first their storytelling episode and second an interview episode to unpack their story further. We take this time and go so deep because we believe the secret to healing our frenetic, disconnected, injured world is to slow down, be present, and connect with one person's vulnerable truth with an open heart. Today, Jiminika Eborn joins us again after hearing her amazing life story in the previous episode. So we can ask her questions and explore further. And here's a little bit more about Jiminika. Jiminika Eborn is a queer media consultant, comprehensive sex educator, and sexual assault and trauma expert. With a master's in health psychology, she has worked in mental health for the past 13 years in sex education and sexual trauma support. Jiminika is the host of Trauma Queen, a podcast miniseries for survivors of assault and our allies, and the founder of Tending the Garden, a healing retreat for survivors of assault of different marginalized identities. In 2020, Jiminika co-founded Centauri Company, uh, bringing increased representation to the field of intimacy coordination in the film industry. But before we get started, I need to remind you that Open Deeply Podcast is not therapy or replacement for therapy. Please know this episode has themes of sexual and emotional abuse. If you catch yourself becoming emotionally overwhelmed by this episode's content, please get support. Call a friend, a therapist, or an emotional support hotline such as 800-273-TALK-8255. Oh, I am so excited, Jiminika. I very much enjoyed listening to your life journey story. And I know I have, and Kate has as well, lots of questions and things that we want to dig into. So we're just going to dive right in. Sound good? I'm excited. Let's do it. Yeah. So, okay, the first question, and, you know, this is one of the most prominent things in your story, is you lost your mother so young and so tragically. And I imagine that to heal, you must have found a way to regenerate that nurturing energy into your life. So I guess two part question. One, how did you do that? And also, do you feel that your mother is still with you in some capacity? Oh, okay. This is how we're starting this game. Um, (laughs) How did I heal? I I think that's one of those things that's continuous, right? Like every time I learn more things about this person who, yes, birthed me and brought me into this world, but like I, I often sit and think, wow, like I don't know this person. Like they helped bring me into this world, but I know only stories of them. And sometimes I think I have memories, but then I also think, did I just make that up? Um, (laughs) And do I think that she is still with me? Yeah, right? Like I feel like (laughs) our parents uh, are always with us, 
if we like them or we don't, right? Because <laughs> genetically, I mean, if we're going to go there, genetically, we, we are a part of them. They are a part of us. So yes. And also I think because my family tells me that there is a lot of remembrance of her. Um, and I have photos, like I have all her photo albums, except where my family intentionally took out the photos of my sperm donor mm. and oh. certain other people, right? So I didn't see what he looked like. I know it's not part of the question, but it's in my business. Um, I didn't see <laughs> a photo of him until I was 18 years old because of my good girlfriend, Google. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Google in the library because, you know, it's still old school. Yeah. Yeah. So the next question we have for you is that you mentioned when you were little how confused you were by distorted stories that people would project onto you, Mm -hmm. both as a young child, but also in your young adulthood, like in college. Um, And if you could go back in time and sit down at the end of a bed or what have you with the little girl inside of you, what would you say to her about that? Oh, you're so good at this. Okay. So (laughs) I've actually been doing that recently, which is so funny. I've been, I think this is, you know, I'm always trying to find different ways to connect. And also with the work that I do, I also feel like I need to do this, this work on myself before I try to help someone else do it. Right. Like, yes, it's always easier to tell someone else to do the thing, but we, most of the time we need the things. So I would sit down and I have sat down with her and I just kind of held her hand and Mm -hmm. I held her hand because there's many things that I've done. I've held her hand because my family wasn't a touch family. Like Mm -hmm. to this day, they're like, we were huggers. And I was like, hugged who? Like it wasn't (laughs) like my friends taught me about hugging. Like their families taught me about embracing. So like I grew up, hugging and and maybe it's because of culture because my best friend's family is from Mexico like I grew up kissing cheeks and hugging and embracing and with my best friend whose mom was deaf like she would like give us hugs and like sit with us and like that is how I learned that connection so I would hug her and hold her hands and give her that connection and then I would also tell her what I know now is the things that they're putting upon you that's not your weight. That is their shit that they can't handle. And you being an empath, being this soon to be learned healer are susceptible to receiving that type of treatment. Um, And you will learn. I'd be like, but wait, girl, you will learn how to protect yourself Mm. and how to handle that because it's never going to stop. Unfortunately, it just comes in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of never going to stop, you know, you have firsthand knowledge at how great life can be. You've had some amazing things happen to you, but also you have firsthand knowledge how that can shift on a dime. So what Mm -hmm. is your philosophy regarding, you know, the impermanence of life and how do you cope with that on, you know, a a day to day or situation to situation basis? (laughs) Marijuana. We're plant-based. This is a plant-based diet. Um, But honestly, I I think I do a lot of sitting with myself, right? Like sitting and kind of parsing through. I live in my head and maybe sometimes too much, 
but I, I kind of have learned to give myself grace and release the things that I can't control. Right. Because I used to be like, well, if I can't do this and blah, 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 and like freak out and spin out to the point of not being able to help anyone, including myself. Um, but also knowing that the little parts that I do, do help someone. Mm-hmm. Right. So that justification of literally I, I was on Instagram, Twitter, and I was just like, oh, what now? There's a stampede. Someone got shot we're now checking children's genitals. Like what the fuck? There's always something and giving myself the grace that <laughs> and the reminder that I can't do everything, but what I do matters. Um, but that's mm-hmm. also con- continuously being reminded. But I think honestly, the biggest thing is giving myself that grace of like, the world is going to keep moving and we still have to keep fighting. Yeah. I mean, you know, when we get hit with so many different things, I, I personally, I mean, personally, I think, I don't know if this resonates for you, but I think a lot of the teachings in Buddhism are helpful, mm-hmm. you know, like non-attachment, which I think people get confused by. They think that means, oh, well, you're not attaching to anybody. And that's not exactly what's meant. Like I think about the metaphor of standing in front of a stream and mm-hmm. everything that's going by in that stream, the flower, the tin can, the little fishy, like everything the good and the bad you don't get to keep any of it you know so what are you going to do about that you could go into a spiral of despair or you could really like sit in gratitude for everything that's before you Mm -hmm. you know and Mm -hmm. and really have love for what's in front of you and what you can do in that moment you know yeah and i i think that's what i learned when i forced myself to look outside of that western identity of like well you have to do it this way and i was like i don't i don't think so right like <laughs> when you start when you start doing the questioning i've always been a questioning kind of child um and i that got me in trouble a lot but also it allowed me to be this person like if i didn't ask questions and kind of be like yeah okay but i feel like there's more like i feel like there's more it's like there's always more i think that has been helpful for me to like look and be like, oh, this is how other people do it. And they seem peaceful. I want some of that. Like, mm-hmm. I want that. Yeah, I think I think that's like such a gift. You talk about books when you were a child as, as like a huge resource for you, you know, and, and I, you know, I, I, I think that's true, um, you know, and, and expand, expanding our mind past what you know, the, what you usually hear in the United States, you know, which can be very ethnocentristic and very, you know, to these other ideas that can help us wrap around um, all these things that are happening all the time in our world, yeah. you know? Yeah. 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 So much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. Okay. So you mentioned as a teenager, uh, sexual literature was <laughs> right next to articles about weight loss. Um, and you mentioned the shame associated with both. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, after all this self-work related to trauma and shame, along with understanding your own sexuality. Okay, here's an art therapy. I don't know if you know about the, this about me. I'm an art therapist. So yes. here here comes, we don't, we don't have a sheet of paper right now. So I, I'm going to inv- invite you to imagine that you and I are like, in, that all three of us are in this, this room and you have this huge sheet of but- butcher block paper and you've got all the paints and the pastels and the feathers and the sparkles and like everything that you could ever want 
in terms of art supplies. And I asked you to draw an image of you as an embodied sexual goddess. Mm. <laughs> your, your inner, your inner embodied sexual goddess now. Uh-huh. What would she look like? Um, well, first of all, she's shiny because she's intriguing. So glitter me down. <laughs> uh, we're doing glitter. We're also doing shades of blue. Um, and it, it doesn't necessarily, I don't feel like it's it's a shape. Like it's not like a human shape. It's more of like a, like an aura um, mm. and like shades of blue and glitter, but also like, playfulness so there's also like other colors um but then there's a little bit of black because sometimes we like to play a little rougher you know Um, um i think i think that's what it would look like it would be shiny but also you know have parts of i guess darkness and playfulness and um clouds and clouds because of the airiness and the movement and the adaptation And and again, if you could bring that teenage girl into the room mm-hmm. and see your art piece, and you know the the girl, the gal that has the sexuality books, but also has kind of the body shamey books in there too. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you were to bring her into the room and tell her about that art piece, what do you think you would say to her? I'd be like, "Hey, girl, <laughs> so look how much fun we are. Look how we're like." I would explain it. Um, and that's also because I'm an overshare and that also streams from never feeling heard when I was younger. So now I just overshare the things, so I don't miss details. I'm like, no, you're going to get everything. So I would break <laughs> it down and explain each aspect of it and then allow her to ask questions because I wasn't allowed to ask questions. Yeah. 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 Oh, so yeah, so now you have a career that it's completely a corrective experience all the time in all the ways. Oh, yeah. That. Oh, yeah. <laughs> My therapist says I heal, and she was like, I've never seen anyone like you. I don't know what's happening. She was like, you continuously are reworking your healing through your work, and the ways that you show up are still connected to your healing. And I was like, ooh, that sounds deep. I like yeah. that. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I, I love it. I love this this whole piece of the conversation. I just want to take it and frame it and like relive it over and over. It, I'm like, damn, Kate, this is why you're a good therapist right there. Okay. <laughs> I'm crying. I got to wipe my, my tears. Okay. So um, in college, uh, Jiminika, you know, you really stepped into your power regarding your body and your sexuality. And both the people that slut shamed you and that guy who attacked you attempted to strip you of your power, but clearly, you know, you're brilliantly in your power right now, especially if we're looking at your art piece that you just mentally drew. Um, So why do you think that they inevitably failed at stripping you of that power? Hmm. I don't know. I honestly, I don't know. Um, I'm not going to say it's resilience. I'm also just tired of that damn word right now. I'm I'm so tired of being fucking resilient, but I, I think it's because of my questioning. Like, I'm like, okay, this happened, but I'm still here, right? Like, I'm still a person. I'm still moving. I'm still breathing, which in many aspects is a gift. Like, my mother was killed at 24. 
I have outlived her literally in a month, my birth, a month and a day. My birthday is on the 31st of May. I've outlived her by 10 years. Wow. Mm. And so for me, it's, it's always been, Ooh, this is good because it's always been me continuously living in a way that I think would make her proud. Um, and also because she didn't get the chance to do the thing. So it does go back home. Like, no, I don't know this person. I know of this person, but this person is also a part of me. And I still have that instinct to want to make my mommy proud. Wow. That, that's, you know, see this, this one question, I mean, I personally could just stay on this question for till the cows come home, you know, for a bazillion <laughs> years um, and like talk about how the journey of different survivors and how it can show up and it can be so different, mm-hmm. um, you know, and and one thing, if I were to just pluck one thing, a lot of like people that get stuck, one reason they get stuck is that they are holding the torch for the trauma that they had mm-hmm. and they feel like if they don't hold that torch of remembering the very bad thing that happened to them Mm -hmm. that it will be forgotten Mm -hmm. and they don't feel like that's right. Mm. So they get stuck in their trauma. Um, not, not just for this reason, but partially because they don't, they think they're the sole person holding the torch and and saying, you know, this is a thing that happened to me, Mm. you know? Mm -hmm. And, and for you, it's kind of the opposite where you're, you know, always thinking, you know, how can I live in a way where my mom would be really happy to just witness my life? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's so much, that's very much the opposite um, where you're, you're allowing yourself to have a good life and not feel like you have to stay stuck in, in the trauma for, for some, for some reason, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. But I also feel like, um, like I get to live, like I get to live, right? Like, that's a right. fucking gift sometimes, but also like I, I was raised with my grandparents a whole different time. There one's from Texas, one's from the backwoods of North Carolina. It's a journey over at my house, <laughs> but like also like the way that I get to show up in the world also gives them permission, right? Like I sit down and I have conversations with her and she'll be hell. Her birthday is next week or two. Ooh, hell I got to prepare. Her birthday is next week. <laughs> And she'll be 79 and we will sit down and have conversations because of the way that I show up. It gives her permission to share with me. I have learned more about this person I've known my whole life in the last three years than ever. Mm-hmm. And I've also learned because, you know, I did go to school to be a therapist and chose the, the latter, like how to just sit when that person starts sharing and you're like, oh, shit, this has never happened. Let me just breathe and take it in because this is vulnerability. Right. And so it's it's me. It's like I, I'm living beyond my own ideal means, right? Like I've never, if someone was like, you get to be this person, I would have been like, who? Not me. <laughs> but also, like I'm living in a way that gives my family permission to live. If that makes sense. You know, when I listened to you at first, I started thinking about Marianne Williamson's poem, um, Our Greatest Fear. Do you know which one I'm talking I don't. about? Oh, you, you definitely need to, to read through Look that. Yeah, yeah. So the, you know, I'm not going to pull it up and read it right now, but basically the, the crux of it is she basically says, you know, that a lot of us, we think that we can't, 
that we shouldn't be big in this world. You know, who am I to be big in this world? You know, um, but she, she basically says, who are you not to be big in this world? And that when mm-hmm. you shine bright, you allow other people to do the same. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so um, I when I, <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> you're a speedy reader. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, you know, when I was thinking of that, I was thinking, man, Marianne needs to do a part two to this poem because she's talking about living your big, bold truth. But there's also, you know, uh, the modeling of vulnerability and the modeling of of sitting with, being able to sit with vulnerability, both sides, mm-hmm. and how in doing so, you allow others to do the same. Yes. Yeah, but I also don't feel like I'm big and bold. Like, I still have that... I don't want to take up too much space. And I don't know if that's being a black lady and the trauma of that. I don't know if it's being queer and the trauma of that. I don't know if it's being a survivor. Like, there's so many comma, comma, trauma options at this point, but it's like, <laughs> like I do so much and I don't share it because I'm like, I don't, you know, I don't want to, I don't know. And people are like, why don't you tell us you're doing this thing? And I'm like, I don't, you know, I just did it. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a balancing act, isn't there? Yeah. Let's see. I have the next question for you. You've survived encounters with people who embody intense destructive energy, you know? <laughs> yep. Right. Um, as a therapist, I've noticed that a lot of folks with severe trauma, it, it's almost, I, I don't mean to make light of it, but it's, mm-hmm. it can almost be a little bit like a choose your own adventure novel. If you remember that reference, you know, like some folks say to themselves, yes, I'm a, you know, and this is unconscious. Usually mm-hmm. they might say, yes, I'm a trauma survivor and I'm going to try and heal. Or they might say, yes, I'm a trauma survivor and I'm just going to like fold in on myself and give up. Or they might say, you know, they may not even recognize that they're a trauma survivor but instead say i see that the perpetrator has power and i'm going to align with that destructive energy Mm. so if someone listening right now was leaning towards choosing to cope with trauma by aligning with people or practices that feel powerful but are actually destructive what would you say to to that person That's a good question. What is destruction, though? Well, let's just bat it around. (laughs) What is destruction, right? Like, are what is is it the negative destruction? Are we? Is it someone that's that someone else thinks is becoming destruction because they're breaking the system? Because I'm that kind of destructive person. Like, I align with let's change the system, let's break shit. And some people might think that's aggressive and destructive. Or if it's right. like the negative, uh, see, this is my question, Green. <laughs> or if it's like the mm-hmm. negative and it's like, well, let me just give in because I'm tired of fighting. Yeah, I mean, I think you bring up a good point that, you know, being destructive maybe has a positive side and a negative side, right? right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. you know, like there's um, almost anarchy, like, uh, and I mean this in the definition of seeing that something's wrong and deciding to break it down because yeah. it doesn't serve a purpose for which I'm just kind of reiterating what you just said. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, I, I guess in the way I mean it is when you think about the, the two ma- major people that cause you trauma, they brought in a really certain, I don't know, dare I say, you know, like toxic destructive energy. 
you know? Mm-hmm. And I've found from watching documentaries, a lot of times people that come in with that kind of destructive energy do have a trauma history. I'm not saying that people with trauma end up being like that. I'm just saying it's almost like one path of many, many, many that people can choose, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and you know, so I'm kind of talking about that kind of person that's either leaning that way or starting to hang out with people or energy that's that way. Mm-hmm. Like, what would you say to someone that's starting to lean towards that path? I'd say I get it. Yeah. I, I would say I get it. And I've done it. Right. And yeah. it seems, I don't know. It's like that, uh, like dancing with the devil kind of thing. Right. Like, let me right. see. Let me, it's maybe there's parts of it. That's alluring. Maybe there's parts of it that feel safe. And maybe it's that just like, I just want to connect with something and maybe it's intense and you want that intense feeling because sometimes a lot of times we're all just trying to feel something. And it, it, like I said, it may not be good feelings. It might just be feeling. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of, I think for most of us that have been traumatized or, or, you know, I, I think a lot of us are drawn that way at different times. You know, mm-hmm. it's just some people, it's a, it's a time or in their life and other people get stuck in it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You and know, and fault either. what, what do you think is like one example maybe in your life that you can think of how you got unstuck when you caught, caught yourself having to go through a phase like that. And, and maybe it serves some purpose. I'm not saying it's, entirely negative Mm -hmm. but to get stuck in it would probably be a negative i would imagine i can't you know so i'm just kind of wondering how you got unstuck the times that you caught yourself in that energy honestly be getting called out um because i think sometimes we're so in it that we don't even realize it right and so it took for my my grandmother my mom who i call my mom to be like i don't even know who you are right now yeah who are you and I was like what are you talking about what do you mean and then like I'm also someone that words mean things to me like Mm -hmm. words people are like words have value and I'm like yeah 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 but like they literally will you know sometimes they ruminate in my head better good or bad whatever that is but Mm -hmm. it took for the people in my life that know me and they know me so well and love me so well that they don't care about calling me in and calling me out because they like, I know they have good intention. Like I also went through, like when I was in that college part, this is, you know, in the trauma, not in the trauma, like my best friends, like I was just destructive there. I, they were like, we're just waiting on you to stop being an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it it drives home the point of community or even having a a few friends that um, you can trust enough that they'll tell you the truth, even when it's brutal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think there's a net, there's a lot of yes people in the world. I need, I don't like, to, I don't surround myself with yes people. I surround myself with people who are like, okay, I see what you're doing, but sh- this is kind of shitty or like, okay, what about this? Like the people in my, I never want to be the smartest person that knows everything in the room. Right. And all the cheesy things are true. Like I want other perspectives. I want people to, that see me in ways that I don't see myself to be in my life. Cause I can look at a mirror. That's not the same thing. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I mean, I can think about times in my life where I was more isolated and I finally got out of negative situations because of, strangely, the movie Fight Club was (laughs) helped me, helped pull me out. But I'll tell you what, when you have community, everything moves along so much faster. Yeah. Yeah. But there's also, even with community, there's that sense of loneliness, right? Like sometimes even in a crowd, I don't know why I'm full of cheesy quotes today, but even in the crowd, I have felt lonely. And so that, that, I don't know if it's because I allowed other folks to make me feel that way and othered and lonely, or was it what I was just feeling and didn't have the verbiage for it? Mm. I found that a lot in my life, I didn't have the verbiage that I found. It was like, oh, it's not just me, right? Like sometimes we, we just think it's just a me thing when it's really like a collective worldly sitch that others are also struggling with. It goes back to what you were saying about how words are important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned that you continued to date your perpetrator after he attacked you. And I want to unpack that because a lot of survivors do this. This isn't an yeah. uncommon thing and they wrestle with it. So why did you feel in your situation that you did that? <sighs> I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm not first. We're not going to call it dating because that that seems healthier. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> <laughs> than the situation. Um, I think it was the connection. It was the the need and the someone wanted me. Whether it was good or bad, it's someone wanted me. They didn't care about the shit. Like they just wanted me. Um, and it, it, was it for bad reasons? Yeah. Was it for good reasons? Not to me. Maybe in their brains. Um, like I'm, I'm not in his head. I don't know. But for me, I think it was the, the fulfillment of being wanted. And also now how I utilize like my desire, like I'd love being desired in a healthy way. So it's, it was the negative want of that until I learned how to utilize it in a healthy way or Mm. become it in a healthy way. Yeah. And I think sometimes when we're injured or when we have a heightened need, to, to kind of be seen. Mm-hmm. It's sometimes when these perpetrators who do have such a, a, a this huge fixation on us, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, we just want somebody who's giving us attention. And a lot of times narcissists, like people that are like this, we can just see how fixated they are on us. And we want that. It gives us like this water and sunlight and we don't realize that it's the wrong kind of gaze. Yeah, that love <laughs> yeah. bombing can feel so good sometimes. Uh, <laughs> I, was talk- I was just talking about love bombing <laughs> with my client yesterday. Oh. Uh, <laughs> it's a thing, yeah. right? Like, that's also, like, talking about, like, having that language, right? Like, a lot of us, I'm, I'm, I believe in my spirit that both of us, all three of us have experienced love bombing and didn't know what it was mm-hmm. until we knew what it was. And now we're like, oh, shit. Is, oh, this makes sense. Like, again, there's also that I should have known or the why didn't I stop this? Or then we start to recant everything and think about who we are. Like, it's it's a shitty cycle sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I always say that um, we can't 
actually understand something and process something and work with it unless we can name it. Like it doesn't really exist unless we can name it. And that's why, you know, it kind of brings brings together everything we're doing. That's why we share our stories. That's why we talk about this stuff. So people can get the verbiage and the language to recognize it. Because to your point, it's like once you see it, you can't, you're like, oh, shit, you can't unsee it. It's in <laughs> front of your face. But if you can't name it, it doesn't exist to you. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so my next question, I have to ask you, it has to do a little bit with something you said after the taping of the first episode. Do you mind if I reference? No, sure. What did I say? I don't remember. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, so you mentioned after we finished taping uh, your first episode that the women that you saw in your spiritual journey Ooh, yeah. felt felt like your lineage. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if, if you could tell us more about that, like... Like, do you feel that they had been looking over you all along? I don't know. I just like to hear more about that experience. Yeah, let's lean into the woo. Let's lean into her. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I, I, when I utilize the plant medicine, right? Like the plant medicines, I think are beautiful, um, and so I, I intentionally I use them as like a tool, as a support guide, um, and so mm-hmm. I ask them like are these people proud of me? Are these women proud of me? Am I doing my family justice? Like, who are these people? Because I've always mm-hmm. been told by my aunt, who who am I to say no, but she says she sees spirits and sees these, these ghosts and whatnot. And I said, okay, hell, anything's the same for me, right? Like, I am a believer in that. And so when I, I was laying in bed, going through it, honey. Um, With my weighted blanket on, I was in in the peak of the mushroom (laughs) trip. And I looked to my closet and it was as if a portal opened. And it was just these beautiful black women. And some of them I recognized, like some of them, I was like, oh my God, that's my aunt that died. There's my aunt, there's my mom. Like I, there's, oh, I've seen a photo of you. Like, and it was just like a, a, hey, hello. Hey, like, how are you? Okay. We see you. You're doing great. It was like my own cheerleading section. And it, it was wild. <laughs> it was, it was <laughs> wild for one to see and to feel like I wasn't alone in a different type of way. Like, mm. yes, I have friends. Yes, I have family. But it, it was like, it felt like a different energy of like, appreciation like a different type of love a different type of being seen yeah it, and it felt like yeah i was doing what i was supposed to be doing like, and my aunt always tells me like you were protected there are angels watching over you like the reason you've gotten this far you haven't done this alone like when you feel certain things that's mm. because someone is there with you for me at this point, both in my practice and outside of my practice, I feel like, you know, people have told me thousands of plant medicine journey stories. And, mm-hmm. you know, they so often you'd hear um, things similar to this, but part of it was like experiencing love. But I think a lot of us, we think we know what love is, 
but it's really codependency or or it's something else. You know, like Bell Hooks says that love cannot be concurrent with abuse and neglect. It's like, I think a lot of us don't even really understand what love is. And then mm. we go into these plant medicine journeys. It's like, I, it's not just that we're experiencing love. I think sometimes we're being taught what love is, you know? Mm. How do you feel about that idea? Wow. Um, yeah, I think, I think, oh, I feel like <laughs> there's so many words that I feel like people use and overuse in ways that I don't feel connected to, like simply friend, right? Like people, that's my friend. I'm like, that's not your friend. You know them or you know of them, right? Like that is, Mm -hmm. for me, a friend is someone that I can call on and I know they have my back. They're not going to be like, well, tell me more. I have questions. Like, no, they're going to be like, bet. Okay. I know you, like I can lean on them. And it's also like love. I feel like love is reciprocal. I feel like it's not one-sided. I feel like it is also appreciation of who that person is already and not who I want them to be. Mm-hmm. And I feel like yeah. a lot of people don't see that and or they try to make and or put people into situations or into, you know, baby in a corner to make them this ideal person. But then I also think, is that all of our fault, right? Like a lot of us grew up on these rom-coms or these Disney movies, like we can't, let's get started on Disney. (laughs) We're always chasing this, this ideal, this dream, this magical fortress that like was made up by some random people. Like Mm -hmm. we get so lost in it that we don't even somewhat choose for ourselves, I think. But then you add abuse. And then when we find people that are good at abuse, then they also work on changing our narrative on what that looks like or what it should feel like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Fucking Disney. <laughs> I so mad. I know. I know. Oh my goodness. So you've already achieved amazing things. You know, one of the latest being 10, the garden. And so when you envision the future, you, what does that future you look like? And how is she tending the garden both from within and from without? She's taking more vacations. <laughs> <laughs> she's taking more vacations than she's been doing for herself. Um, what does future Jiminita look like? Well, she is letting go more, right? Like my goal right now is to create all these things and put things into play. So yes, I can continue to make money because capitalism, but also that I can make room for other people, right? Like again, that that pull up mentality, like I wanna create paths that other people can also do things mm-hmm. and also learn. Like, I think there's a lot of people that are out here in this world that are magical and never went to school, right? Like the school system, that's a whole nother conversation. But like, I feel like there's so many doors that I'm opening and this is where I get weird. I'm like, I don't want to toot my own horn, but there, I feel like there's doors that I'm opening for other people um, that they can utilize. What do I personally want to do? So many things. Oh my God. So I, I um, am a lover of professional wrestling. Fun fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I found wrestling at nine and I think it's magical, but I also think it's really traumatic and problematic. Um, 
And so something I am actually going to write an article about for a, a top wrestling reporter company is about the ways that they can show up for people and really support them, right? Like looking at them as holistic people, like, yeah, they have medical doctors, but like, what about like their depression, their anxiety, their addiction, the domestic violence, the sexual assault? Like, why is no one addressing all of this? Like, I would love to create wellness programs um mm -hmm. and help that because that's also like a love of my life that's sport and i i want it to continue growing but i also want these people to live there's so much death and trauma and just a shit show and they're like they had their own hashtag moment last year hashtag speaking out i would love to help these these type of systems i want tending the garden to be a beautiful in-person retreat that happens multiple times a year that gets to help multiple types of people. I also want to create education, and it's actually being created. Uh, we're doing education for tending the garden for survivors and for those that want to support survivors, right? Um, I want to continue doing online retreats because there's different affordability levels and there's this different intense levels of that care and support. Um, I wanted, oh God, I, everyone's on my nerves. I guess I should do a book. Like that's the thing people do. <laughs> God, I'm, you know, we all have books that we're working on or finishing. I've been working on some things in my head, um, but I would love to create different means of mediums for folks to receive information. And again, that language, I've been working on something about language for survivors or just folks that have trauma in general to help them name the things. Because like you said, naming things is really important. Um, and of course there's other things. Um, I want to fuck up the sex ed community. <laughs> and like, and I know Sunny and I've had multiple conversations about this, but like in a good way, like mm -hmm. I want to continue calling in and calling out people. Yes. Most of these systems have been in place by older white men, but they don't have to stay. Like, we get to change things, and I want to be a part of that. And I think that's why, like, I continue to do these, these things. Do I want to stay with intimacy coordination trainings? No. That's not – That's I get to do this, and this is cool, but that's not my full long-term long goal. I don't know how long I'll do it. This might be my last cohort, my second one. I don't know. Um, but I also want to host and continue doing different types of conversations, if that's podcasting, if that's – television if it's not youtube because she's dying a little bit but like whatever that looks like i want to be open to the process again like you said i have done things that i've never thought i could ever do <laughs> like sitting here having this conversation never uh hosting a summit never you know even getting a graduate degree was that my jam no the fact that, and we talked about this, the fact that people, and I woke up this morning because I did a, a college chat after I finished with y'all yesterday, and it was like, I woke up to messages from students, like, I needed to hear those things, like, thank you so much, like, you have helped me, and I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> I want to continue doing that, like, I want my name to be known, but I also, because she's also an ambivert that leans introverted, I also want to be left alone. <laughs> but I want people to know I exist and to call me in when they feel like I can be of use to whatever movement that they're also creating and whatever walls and doors that they're also breaking down. Yeah, I mean, so 
I wanted to ask about the sex ed thing, but before I do that, I just want to say, I just want to say, you know, just being a, a therapist, you know, like I went from working in the clinics that served low socioeconomic status folks. Then I worked at a, at a hospital that had was a little bit more of a mixture. And then I went in, into private practice mm-hmm. and it's just like the longer you're so it seems to me like there's this big division between, you know, there's people that are wealthy that get to afford EMDR and, and all of this stuff. And then everybody else, you know, they just don't have the same access. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it seems like you're really creating, uh, you know, or if they do have access, it's, it's kind of subpar. Yeah. And it seems like you're doing a lot of work to try and create something quality that can be for the math, you know, for everybody. Yeah, I mean, I still do, you know, I still got to chase the big coins, but I feel like mm-hmm. if I work with companies or get someone else to pay for the thing that I get to do those things, right? Like I get to support those people, like, like tending the garden for this summit, I gave away more tickets than I, than people sold, than I sold. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that for me felt beautiful. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I think so. Well, you know, and I think you talk, you know, a lot of times the big coin, like the people that pay full fee and all of that, they a lot of times don't know it, but they're actually funding yeah. these other things yeah. like this. Peter, what is it? Uh, Robin Hood? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then the, the other thing I wanted to ask about was, um, you know, you, you guys talked about sex ed. Are you just talking about sex ed in the schools? Like wanting to revamp sex ed in the schools? No. Or are you talking about outside of the schools? Like, <laughs> no. You explain because it's your episode, but no. <laughs> <laughs> the laughter and the conversations. No. I think that there are so many different levels of fucked upness, right? There's the school system where people are like, we don't want sex ed in our schools, but why are our children pregnant? We never told them about sex. Why did kids have STIs? Why did I not know anything? Like, what? Like, that is a whole fight in its own right to remind folks of all the things they missed. Like, we're not teaching them to go out. We're not sitting down like, okay, here's the exact way to do it. The, The comprehensive way that we teach is like, how about we talk about your feelings? How about we talk about, like, what your body's going through? How about we also talk about how sex should also be pleasurable and feel good for you, right? Like right. that is the conversations, consent, boundaries, language, how to say yes and no. That is the things that people don't realize that we're also talking about. So it's like yeah. we're actually trying to help the world at this level because that is the absorption time. So that's and, one and, fight. And then boundaries. I mean, one yeah. thing that I've noticed talking to women, you know, just working just short of 20 years with sexual abuse and all that. It's like women and girls, even, even my clients that are 20, you know, when I asked them, did anybody teach you about boundaries so that you could partially defend yourself in situations? They're like, no, they just taught me to be nice. Yeah. 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 And I, when I talk about this with all ages, like, I'm like, who was ever taught how to say yes and no. And people just stare at me and I'm like, great, let's have that conversation. Right? Yeah. That's a thing. So there's that part of the system. Then there's the sex ed community, <laughs> the teachers, the, the speakers, the there's problems in that, right? There's gatekeepers in that that don't want to let things go. That's a whole fight. Um, 
who are predominantly cis and white. And it's like, cool, stop talking at people and let's talk to people. Let's have conversations. Like you don't know everything. I don't know everything, but let's have a commonality. And then there are the, like the toy companies or the bigger companies. That's a whole nother argument. There's the sex ed community. I personally believe that also includes sex workers who I think are the original sex educators, right? Like mm-hmm. they've been doing this work of my whole life and beyond and your life, all of our lives. So <laughs> it's also bringing them in, allowing them to also be a part of the forefront of this fight because they've been doing it longer than all of us and stop excluding yeah. them. So it's right. a lot of fights to be had and uh, I'm tired, but I am so thankful that I get to be in these fights, that I get to be a part of the changes. Cause I know when I joined the community not too long ago, which is also fucking wild that I was like, Oh, this is just like mental health. <laughs> like it's still some <laughs> shitty things happening here. It's not all orgasms and loops. <laughs> like there's a lot that's happening here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, it seems to me, everything is becoming a little bit more multicultural and I think, you know, it's really helpful because, yeah, white people are slowly starting to realize, or at least some white people are starting to realize they hog the mic too much. <laughs> some, yes. I mean, I, I won't, won't name any educators, but I've had drunk educators when we're out living our life, like walk up to me and say, you are the forefront and I'm losing. And I'm like, what? Whoa. They're like, I'm, I'm out. You're in. And I was like, cool, what you drinking? Uh, <laughs> Um, and I was it's like, what, how do you respond to that? It's like, cool. Uh, thank you. I don't know. But also you're still busy working and big, making big money. I don't know. Cause we're. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting how, you know, it, it's kind of like, um, have you ever met a man who identifies as a feminist uh, and he's really trying, uh, he's really trying. <laughs> He's really trying to do good, you know, right? He's trying to, but then one sentence out of his mouth is super supportive of women. And then the next sentence out of his mouth, he doesn't even realize he said something that's really misogynistic or, or maybe he's dominating the conversation or, or something that's yeah. very counter to supporting women. Yep. And, and I think a, a lot of, you know, white people that are trying to do good, including myself, it's like one minute we do good and then the next minute we screw up. And it's kind of the same thing. <laughs> Yeah, you know? yeah, but I think there's, we all fuck up though, right? Like none of us get this right because we're also working with people that are outside of our own identities, outside of like how we were raised, how we grew up. Like it's all a learning situation. We're all on this learning path together, but it's also, you have to give up some of the shit that you think you know to listen to other people, right? Like sometimes right. I just sit there and I'd be like, oh, I don't know any of this. I'm gonna just shut up and absorb. Like, I don't need to always speak. And I th- that takes me to, and I was talking about this yesterday when I was teaching, take space, make space. I think that is yeah. so important. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, this is, we've touched on so many things that are, you know, and it's like, even talking about the sex ed community, it's like, that's kind of the blueprint for all of the fucked up stuff in lots 
a community. So yeah, mm-hmm. let's all get in. And, and I love the word, like we we're talking about positive destruction and negative destruction. And definitely this is positive destruction or like disrupting. I want to be yes. a disruptor. I want to go yes. in and disrupt all of the status quo, all of the BS. Like let's, let's all get out there and do it. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it, it, it's like when you, when you think think about the spiritual folks, a lot of them do spiritual bypassing, but they're leaning into the, the, the kindness and the love. And then you've got the social justice people, but sometimes they forget, you know, to kind of have the, 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 the loving part. Yeah. And it's like, if we can blend the two, like blend a social justice focus where we're just, you know, breaking down the stuff that doesn't work, but also blending in the spiritual part where we're trying to relearn what love is and all of that, then to that kind of fusion can lead to a, a, a new world. Yeah. A thousand yeah. percent. Yeah. A thousand percent. But we have to be willing to get out of our own ways, uh, which some people struggle with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to, I want to add something cause now we're on a roll. And also like the, <laughs> the, you know, and I hear a lot of people say like, you know, we have to add, add the love and compassion spirituality. And I absolutely agree. But we also have to make room for the uncomfortable and the anger oh, and yes, know the there. difference when like this is a loving moment time and this is a I got some shit I got to be angry about and don't shut me up about it. <laughs> so exactly. We're not good at t- telling the difference between those things. Yeah. And be able to, yeah, hold space for both. And a lot of people can just do one or the other. And it's like, we're, we're never going to move forward unless we can hold both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. Yes. I love it. I love it. This is a good positive, a positive note to end on for all of us to take into the world and go disrupt our stuff. Uh, mm. Thank you. Thank you, Jiminika, so much for sharing your journey with us and sharing all of this unpacking and knowledge with us as well. And for listeners, thank you for being a part of this, too. And thank you for hopefully taking some of this with you and going out in the world and disrupting just a little bit. And we also invite you to join us next episode as we once again dare to open deeply. Thank you for listening. Find us online at opendeeplypodcast.com and on social media at Kate Marie or at Sunny Megatron. Check back bi-weekly for new episodes. And until next time, remember, your authentic truth is only found when you dare to open deeply. Intro and outro voice by the queen goddess, Frenchie Davis. Intro and outro music by the Baltimore Bull, Rob Burrell.